Happy Friday and welcome to Kingdom Testimonies. It is October 29th, I believe. Uh, I looked again for chapters 11 through 13 and I cannot find them. So, I'm going to do chapter 11 and 12 today. And because it was, it was, uh, it was a good 30 minutes. Maybe I'll do chapter 13. I uninstalled the uh, Anchor podcast app on my phone. And then I reinstalled it. And now it appears that it's working fine. So, and this has happened to me before. I should probably be, be doing my, or using my laptop, actually. Um... But we have such nice, uh, nice weather, and I'm outside, and I don't want to drag everything outside, and <clears throat> so that's my excuse. We'll see how it goes. All right, chapter 11, Into Chinese Costume. There is not room in this little volume to tell about the sixth evangelistic journey the hero of our story took. We shall pass over it by saying that he went alone, except for Chinese help, up the Yangtze River as far as Nanking, and was gone twenty-five days. He preached in fifty-eight villages, towns, and cities, fifty-one of which had never before been touched by a Protestant missionary. Many interesting things occurred on that trip, but let us think now about journey number seven taken in June with Mr. Burden and Dr. Parker to Ningpo, an important city south of Shanghai on the coast. As they did all the missionary work they could on the way, it was a great contrast for them to be welcomed into the home of Mr. and Mrs. Kobold, Kobold, where the next few days were spent. Here they were introduced to other foreigners, 11 in all, representing different missions. They also visited the fine school conducted by Miss Eldersey, an English lady having independent funds. She was assisted by two young ladies whose father, Reverend Samuel Dyer, had been among the earliest missionaries to China, but had now gone to his reward. The young ladies were well-educated and able to speak the Chinese language fluently. One thing was lacking in the Ningpo foreign community, and that was a hospital. The people there felt keenly the need of this, but there was no doctor among their number to open and take charge of a hospital. The three Shanghai men had expected to do more evangelistic work on the return journey, but Mr. Burden got word that his infant daughter was seriously ill, and Hudson Taylor himself was in such poor health that he dared not undertake further traveling in the hot weather. It was a most trying two months that followed in Shanghai. The weather was terribly hot. Two married couples, each having three small children and a single young man, all living under one roof, one small roof, a single, let me see, trying to study the Chinese language, required much more than ordinary grace and perseverance. Added to this was the suspense still hanging over Dr. Parker and Mr. Taylor with regard to what their committee at home would do for them. They seemed disinclined to put money into bricks and mortar, even though their men on the field had no prospect of being otherwise housed. Little by little, they saw fading away from them the carefully made plans outlined at the beginning of the year. 
Those plans did not appeal to the society at home at all. But in the meantime, he who notes the sparrow's fall did not forget the needs of his own trusting children in faraway China, and in unthought of ways he cared for them. It was good that Hudson Taylor had learned several years before, while in England, to move man through God by prayer alone. Up to this time, he had been writing to his parents and sister, Our plans are laid before the society. If they do nothing, we mean to try to carry them out ourselves. If they oppose, it may become a question as to which we shall dispense with, the society or our plans of usefulness. How little did he realize that even before those January letters could reach the society, his own outlook would be so completely changed as a result of his own evangelistic journeys. Now he was writing to parents and sister. Chinese dress, a little place in the interior, and above all, a future left in the hands of God. Providence had had time to work, and the change came not from outward circumstances only, but from the development of his life within. It was on August 6th that Dr. Parker and Mr. Taylor received notice that the house they occupied must be vacated by the end of September, as the new missionaries of the LMS would arrive then, and must have the house. The other family sharing it with them were building their own house, and it would be it would soon be ready to move into. Therefore, this meant but little to them. Just at this time, further letters from the society showed very clearly that it would not furnish money for its agents in Shanghai to use in buying land there and putting up the buildings they said were necessary though they did give permission to Dr. Parker to rent rooms for a dispensary. How or where they were to live, the society had no suggestions to make. With this came another letter also. It was from Ningpo. Several weeks before that, the missionaries there had invited Dr. Parker to settle among them. He had replied that he could not feel clear to do so unless it would open a door of greater usefulness. A home and practice of his own would be very attractive, but he could not sacrifice missionary work. If in connection with this he could support a hospital for Chinese, the least cost of which would be $800 a year, the matter would be considered. So now with this notice to vacate the house and a final word from the society that the plans for usefulness could not be accepted, came also the letter from Ningpo friends that they would be responsible for the support of the Chinese hospital if Dr. Parker would come to them. So it seemed providential leadings for the doctor to answer the Ningpo call at once. Poor Hudson Taylor was all the more cast upon God. He had no home, nor even the companionship of a fellow worker. Feeling that there was still work for him to do in Shanghai, he set about once more to find a house. Day after day, the search was continued, but nothing could be found at a price within his means. Three weeks this continued. It is wearisome work, he wrote to his sister, and if I do not soon succeed, I shall adopt Chinese dress and seek a place in the country. Chinese dress worn by an Englishman was almost unheard of in those days, except as an inland journey was taken. Even then, as soon as the traveler returned to Shanghai, the native costume was at once changed for English dress again. But Mr. Taylor longed to identify himself with the people by outward appearance, and to be less noticeable as he moved among them. 
It was now time for Dr. Parker to move to Ningpo, and Hudson Taylor had promised to accompany him across the Hangchow Bay, which was the most difficult part of the journey. Thursday night came, and the family was to leave Friday morning. Taylor's house hunting had continued every day, but nothing had been found. So the doctor promised to store Taylor's few belongings at his own house in Ningpo, and then the young man could live on boats, giving himself to evangelistic work, until his way opened somewhere in the interior. That afternoon, young Taylor went out to hire a junk to take the Parkers and their possessions across to Ningpo. His Chinese clothes were ordered and would be ready for him the next morning. On his way, he was met by a man who said, Are you looking for a house in the native city? Would a small one with only five rooms do? Near the south gate there is one, only it is not quite finished. The owner has run short of money and does not know how to complete the work. If it suits the foreign teacher, no deposit will be asked. It can be had at once for an advance of six months' rent. As if in a pleasant dream, Hudson Taylor followed his guide and found a new clean house with two rooms upstairs and two down and one across the courtyard for the servants, just exactly the kind he needed, and in the neighborhood that suited him best, all for only ten pounds to cover six months' rent. Imagine his unspeakable joy. To pay over the money that night and receive the key to the premises was to the long and sorely tried missionary, a delight more easily imagined than described. Prayer had been answered. God had worked. That night, James Hudson Taylor took a step he had been prayerfully considering for a long time. He called in a barber and had his head shaved, leaving only enough of the fair curly hair to grow into the queue of a Chinaman. He prepared a dye to darken the remainder of his hair so that it would match the long black braid, which would serve as a substitute until his own grew out. To put on Chinese dress in those days without the queue would appear ridiculous to native and foreigner alike. Next morning, he put on the Chinese baggy trousers. They were two feet too wide for him around the waist, which extra width was laid in a fold in the front and kept in place by a strong girdle. The white calico, calico socks and satin shoes and the loose flowing gown of heavy silk with wide sleeves reaching 12 inches below the fingertips gave him quite the appearance of a scholarly man. Chapter 12, Companionship with Mr. Burns. Many of the things that occurred in the life of our young missionary during the following six months must be passed over without much notice. Mention must be made, though, that he had the great joy of performing his first baptism in China, one of his household servants who had been converted for some time. He also made another visit to Tsiangming Island and found that his Chinese garments won for him a place in the people's hearts that would scarcely allow him to leave. They found a house for him and came in multitudes for medical treatment and to hear his preaching. Finally, ha finally having to return to Shanghai for money and to mail letters, he left the work of preaching in charge of some of his native helpers, expecting to return shortly. While waiting for his winter garments, which were cotton padded or lined with sheepskin, a messenger came across to say that the druggists and chemists were very angry because they were being robbed of their trade, and that he and his helpers were to be arrested. About this time, a letter was received from the British consul, informing him that unless he lived in one of the five treaty ports, he could not expect protection from the English law in case of trouble. It was a heartbreaking situation for Hudson Taylor, who had been so overjoyed at his new location among the Chinese, 
away from all foreign elements. But God had other and better plans to be unfolded as time went on. Providentially, he was brought in touch with Mr. William Burns, a man without a family, who had led a successful missionary life many years in southern China. He also was dressed in the native costume and traveled in his own boat from place to place, as much as Hudson Taylor was doing. Hence, they felt they had a great deal in common and naturally were drawn together. As Mr. Burns was an older man, his long years of Christian experience provided him with fatherly counsel and advice, which the younger man felt the need of. One night, a prayer meeting was held at the home of Dr. Medhurst. A Christian captain whose vessel had just arrived from Swatow, South China, led the meeting. His accounts of the great need of missionary work in that southern city resulted in his giving free passage on his ship to both Mr. Burns and Mr. Taylor, whom the Lord was leading to answer the call of that needy place. This was on March 6th, just two years after Mr. Taylor's arrival in China. He now spoke with ease two Chinese dialects. A great variety of experiences in that short time had changed the Barnsley lad into a useful missionary. He had seen war with all its horrors, had endured much discomfort from lack of supplies, had learned what it means to be indebted to others, even for a home, had experienced loneliness, sickness, change, and uncertainty. All this had been his training in God's school, and it brought to his heart patience and quietness and a deeper dependence upon God. Friends in the homeland whom the Lord raised up sent funds so liberally that for a great many months he had no need for his letter of credit from the society. Eleven evangelistic journeys in different directions now lay behind him. But his greatest joy was to know that a few Chinese had been turned from heathen idolatry and brought to a saving knowledge of the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But one thing remained just the same as when he landed in China two years previously. He still had no home, no permanent work, no settled plans ahead. Where or how his work was to take form and grow into some kind of structure, he knew not, but he felt that God was guiding in his each step that he had taken. So he learned not to worry about his future, but just to follow one step at a time where his master would lead. The city of Swatow was situated between two principal channels of the Han River and had little room for growth. Its houses all seemed full to overflowing with inhabitants, and the outlook for securing even a room in this crowded city was worse than it had been in Shanghai. But the captain on whose boat they had found passage would show them hospitality as long as he would be in harbor. At just about the last moment, a Chinese merchant heard Mr. Burns speaking his own language, the Cantonese dialect, so fluently that he became interested, especially as he noticed the two foreigners were in Chinese dress. He introduced them to one of the highest officials of the town, who succeeded in securing a room for them. It was just one room over an incense shop into which they had to climb through a hole in the floor. This they curtained off into three rooms, a bedroom for each and a center apartment for a study. Their beds were made of a few boards. A box lid supported by two bags of books served as a table. Two bamboo stools and a bamboo easy chair completed their furniture. This humble beginning among the lowest and poorest of the people is where gospel seeds were sown that have long since yielded an abundant harvest. Frequently visits were made to country places, though amid many dangers, for the whole district seemed very much upset. Without emperor, without rulers, without law was a common expression among the people. 
In May, they were happy at the thought of having obtained a little cottage in a small country town, and Hudson Taylor was on his way there. Go back, go back at once. My neighbors will not allow me to let you have the house, came the unexpected greeting from the landlord as the missionary approached. But after a moment's prayer, he dismissed his boat and went on about the master's business. What will you do? Where shall we go when darkness comes on? We cannot stay out all night, argued the servant. Never fear, came the quiet answer. The Lord knows and he will provide. So in temples, tea shops, and busy streets, tracts and gospels were handed to those who could read. Where are you going to sleep, was asked by and by. That I cannot tell you, he frankly replied, but my heavenly father knows. Are you not anxious lest you should get into trouble? No, I am not anxious, came the answer with a smile. My heart is in perfect peace, because the Lord will provide. So it continued until night, and then a barber invited him to sleep in his shop. The weather was extremely hot, and while sitting in his study, Mr. Taylor had a towel beside him to wipe off the perspiration that streamed from his face and arms. Mr. Burns had spent many a summer in that southern climate and did not now feel the heat so much. As the hottest season was yet to come, it seemed very evident that Mr. Taylor would have to go back to Shanghai for his health's sake. Before he did so, however, they tried hard to rent a room for preaching, but the Chinese were suspicious. How could anyone be willing to pay the rent of a shop merely to have a place for talking in about religious doctrines? They asked among themselves. Clearly, there must be something behind such a proceeding. But premises for medical work would be quite another matter. The foreign doctor was always doing his work free. And if he must tell more or less about his religion, well, his medicines were so good that the preaching could be tolerated. Thus, Mr. Burns and Mr. Taylor were led to consider opening a little dispensary. As the latter had to go to Shanghai anyway until the hot weather was over, he could bring all his instruments and medicines and be ready for work in the fall. Just as these plans were in their minds, the Mandarin of the place was taken so ill that the native doctors could do nothing for him. But he called the foreign doctor and was soon relieved and well. Then he strongly advised these foreigners to commence medical work in Swatow, and he himself began to look out premises for them. Presently, they were able to rent the entire house in which they had been occupying just the one room. This gave them the advantage of working in a neighborhood where they were already known and respected. Early in June, two congenial workers parted, having worked together very happily for six months. But they both look forward to meeting again soon and to getting really settled in medical work in Swatow as a stepping stone to the most important phase of missionary work, the preaching of the gospel. I will go on with chapter 13 because we're doing good on time. A few days' journey up the coast and familiar scenes about Shanghai lay before Mr. Taylor. He wended his way to the LMS compound where his medicine chest was stored. Imagine his great shock upon learning that just a day or two before, a fire had occurred and his medicine chest had been burned. Thoughts like these ran through his mind. Why did the Lord allow that to happen? Just now, my instruments are so much needed. Our success in Swatow seems to depend wholly upon the medical work that we were ready to undertake. Mr. Burns is there waiting for me. But here his trend of thought was halted. Had not God some wise purpose in overruling their plans? To purchase a new outfit in Shanghai was far beyond his means, and to send home for them meant six or eight months before they could arrive. All he saw to do was to write and tell Mr. Burns what had happened, 
and go across to Ningpo to ask if Dr. Parker could lend them a few supplies to use while waiting for the shipment from home. I could get to Ningpo in three or four days, thought Hudson Taylor, but I may as well make it an evangelistic journey and distribute Gospels on the way. After a fortnight on the way, he had given out 200 New Testaments and 3,000 other books and tracts, and had improved wonderful opportunities for reaching the Gospel. Now that he was nearing the end of his journey, and as there was no water between Shimonwan, he paid off his boat and then hired coolies to carry his things as far as Changyan. Leaving his servant in charge of the coolies, who stopped often to rest, Mr. Taylor walked on until he reached Shimon, then waited in a tea shop outside the north gate. By and by the coolies came, and after they had stopped for rice, tea, and a rest, a rest, Mr. Taylor urged them to go on to Chang'an before the sun got too hot. His servant had a friend in the city and wanted to wait until the following day, but the missionary wanted to reach Haining that night, if possible, from whence he could take a boat to Ningpo. So they all passed through the north gate, when a third of the way through the city, the coolie stopped to rest, saying they could not carry his thing to Chang'an, but they agreed to take them to the south gate. Here other coolies were being called by the servant, and Mr. Taylor walked on, as before, to Chang'an, only four miles. While waiting for them, he engaged other coolies to carry the burden to Haining that night. He waited and waited and waited and wondered why they did not come. He thought the servant might have gone to see his friend and would come on that evening. Had not his feet been sore and blistered, he would have gone back to look for them. At last, Mr. Taylor began to make inquiry. He finally learned that a bamboo box and a bed bed such as his had just been carried by a coolie who said he was in a hurry to reach Haining that night. So the traveler concluded that his goods had gone on before him. It was already dark, and as he was too tired to go further, he looked about for an inn where he could lodge for the night and get food. Upon asking for supper, he was told that cold rice and snakes fried in lamp oil were all that could be had. Not wishing people to recognize that he was a foreigner, he ordered some, but made very little success at satisfying his hunger. When he asked for a bed, the landlord told him the authorities required a record of lodgers, so he was asked a long list of questions. By this, the man's wife learned that Mr. Taylor was a doctor, so she remarked, I'm glad of that, for I have a daughter afflicted with leprosy, and if you will cure her, you shall have your supper and bed for nothing. Then he was curious enough to ask what his supper and bed would cost if paid for, and to his great amusement found they were worth less than three and one-half pence. That night his bed consisted of a board raised on two stools, with only his umbrella and shoes for a pillow. As ten or eleven other fellows were sleeping in the same room, he could take nothing off, lest it should be stolen. Early Tuesday morning Mr. Taylor arose, but had to wait a long time for breakfast. He was also delayed in getting change for a dollar, which was chipped a little in one or two places, and he lost in the exchange over 300 cash, which meant much while on that journey. Afterwards, he set out in search of his servant and goods. No news at all could he get of them. So he went on to Haining. The distance was eight miles, and it was afternoon when he reached the northern suburb. There he began began to make inquiry for the lost belongings. He was told that outside the east gate he might find them, for it was near there that the sea junks called. In vain the search was made. While he was sitting to rest a few minutes, 
Several persons from the Mandarin's office came to ask about his business. By and by, one of the men, men in the tea shop said, A bamboo box and a bed, such as you described, were carried past here half an hour ago. You better go to the south gate and inquire there. Mr. Taylor engaged a man to make a thorough search everywhere, offering to reward him well if he were successful. But when the man returned, he had no news of the lost box. It was then late, and the weary, footsore traveler asked this man to help him find lodging for the night. At the first two places, the people were willing to receive him, but when they noticed a man following, of whom they evidently were afraid, they refused to give Mr. Taylor a bed. The third place promised lodging, so tea was brought in, and the man paid off. But immediately after the man left, officials came in, and soon Mr. Taylor was told he could not be entertained there that night. A young man felt sorry and said, Never mind, come with me, and if you can get, cannot get better lodging, you shall sleep at our house. But his people were unwilling. More and more weary he was becoming. At last someone promised a bed, but it would be necessary for him to wait in a tea shop until a crowd retired that had gathered about the door. So on they waited until past midnight. Then the young man escorting him could not find the place, but led him to quite another part of the city, and there at about two o'clock in the morning, left him to spend the night as best he could. All right, that's the end of chapter 13, and I pray that I can get this uploaded normally. Um, I've only had this happen once before, and that was a long time ago. I, I'm not sure what happened where the other recording was lost, so we had to repeat it for today. Um, there isn't a whole lot left of the book. Possibly we'll be finishing it on Monday. And then um, I am still praying about starting my own, <clears throat> excuse me, starting my own testimony after that. Um, I do believe that is what is going to take place. Normally I pray about what I should share as I reach the end of, you know, a book or a piece of scripture or something and the Lord will impress on my heart what to share and I feel that he is wanting me to share my own uh, life history so to speak leading up to well several testimonies and then the one of 2018 where things really took off and that was a very interesting couple of years after that so that's the plan and I'm going to see if I can't get this uploaded and it is Friday so I hope you all have a fun weekend uh, my daughter hopefully is moving and possibly tomorrow and Sunday but if she has to move on Monday there will be no uh, podcast on Monday because I will be helping her move. So with that, I pray you all have a blessed day.